0: Hi there and welcome to Talk and Chop. This is the FSU podcast. Um, the FSU Florida State newspaper is a student-run newspaper um, produced by the Florida Flambeau and this podcast is actually partnered with v 9 Sports, the FSU radio station. And my name is Gabe Tisnes. I am today's host with Courtney Evans and we're going to dive into everything FSU football and hopefully touch a little bit on FSU soccer as well since they're undefeated, so I think it's fitting that we include them in this episode. Um, this is the first episode of the season, even though Florida State is almost halfway through their season. And as we know, they started off not so well. Um, they were flashes of promise. there were flashes of hope. But four weeks in, they found themselves at an 0-4 record. And this weekend, they actually played Syracuse, and they won 33-30 to and Parents Weekend and FSU fans were finally able to celebrate the present and not worry so much about the future or even think about the past for one night or so. But obviously waking up this morning, they've been thinking about how they are going to go into UNC. But before we get into that, I'm going to introduce my partner, Courtney Evans. How Hi. are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Doing pretty well. Uh, middle of the semester is it's a rough. little bit a little bit tough, yeah. but we're, we're done laying the foundation, as Mike Norvell would say. Now we're kicking into all gears, all cylinders, and yeah, I'm excited to, to do this. This is something I've been looking forward to. Last year, I remember Logan Gretschfield, the previous host, he did a really well job. He, I think I, I was in a few episodes, and it was all over Zoom, so I'm really happy to be here yeah. in person finally, um, not having to um, worry about how we can record while online and all that fiasco. So
1: Yeah, it's definitely much better being able to sit down and do it side-by-side side versus through a computer screen.
0: Completely agree. Yeah, so I guess we can get into it. Um, FSU hosted Syracuse, the Orange, on Saturday, Parents Weekend, and the line was favoring FSU somehow. Uh, Vegas did not buy into the Orange's 3-1 and record, or FSU's 0-4 record, for that matter. And they happened to be right, even though FSU did not really convince most fans throughout the game, um, the sensation throughout the whole Stadium was that a 10-point lead was nowhere near enough for FSU to hang on in the fourth quarter, and boy, were they right, because Syracuse got the ball with about four minutes remaining, and they had a shot to just blow the wind out of FSU's stomach and send the stadium into an outrage, but the Noles pulled it off. They, they held the Syracuse Orange to a um, fourth down in the goal line, and then Jordan Travis uh, performed a little bit of his magic, and uh, FSU came out victorious. So, Courtney, what were some of your first reactions?
1: Yeah, I thought the Seminole defense came up big when needed to. They had their three fourth down stops. Um, Syracuse was only able to convert on two of the third downs out of 12, and um, our offense just executed off the way the defense was playing. I mean, we still did. they still did give up 33 points, but at the end of the day, 30 points, sorry. At the end of the day, the Seminoles walked out of there with a win, which is something that we haven't seen from them all season. So I'm sure Coach Norvell and all this all the players are finally happy to see their hard work pay off. And it was definitely good to see Travis get back out there. Uh, you know, he was fighting that injury last week, and then this past week against Syracuse he was able to put 113 yards on the ground for and had two touchdowns. So I would say it was a promising performance based on what that Seminoles team has been doing these past four or five games?
0: Yeah, I think we, we definitely saw some of the improvements, especially in the first half, in the first quarter, uh, I would say. I mean, the way they started off against Wake Forest and Louisville, boy, was that rough. I mean, how do you give the offense a shot to win the game um, if you let, if you allow 30 points by halftime? Um, so that was obviously the, the main goal this game, and, and they they pulled it off. They they held um, Syracuse to, I believe, <clears throat> 13 points in the first half, which, you know, it's not terrible. It's not impressive, but it's definitely an improvement. Um, the biggest improvement, in my opinion, was the penalties. Yeah. They absolutely looked like a different team. They They were much more composed. And while they did still have some of them in very not fitting moments, I must add. But at the same time, they overall, they, I think this was the lowest penalties they had. I think it was about four, right?
1: Around that, yeah. Yeah,
0: around four, which was the least they've had in at least three years. Um, so, yeah, that was one of my biggest takeaways. But my biggest takeaway has to be the difference between Jordan Travis and Mackenzie Milton's offenses. Uh, Jordan Travis obviously has shown capability to do more with less, which is something that I think Mackenzie Milton can say that, hey, this is not a team that's built to actually like, support me and my recovery from the horrible knee injury that he had a couple of years ago. So I don't think it's completely fair to, to blame it all on Mackenzie Mullen, but by now I think we've seen how each quarterback plays and we've seen how Jordan Travis is just capable of extending plays and not having to depend on his offensive linemen or the receivers, which is something Mackenzie needs. Um, which is the main reason I think FSU came out victorious this weekend. I think if you start Mackenzie Milne, you just don't win the game. And Syracuse, they didn't play particularly well, but FSU, in my opinion, came out a bit on a, a bit lucky by the end of this game, uh, especially with the holding penalty everyone's talked about uh, on the last drive of the game. So, I, it's hard to like kind of poo poo on the on the FSU win when they you know finally after five weeks. They, they they find one um, because you do need to be lucky to win games. Even even great teams need to be lucky sometimes. But for this to be the way that they win, it's still a bit unconvincing for Mike Norvell and the squad. At the same time, I'm just happy for them. I'm happy for the players. I'm happy for the fans. who have had to wait over a year and a half since COVID and everything for them to actually find themselves celebrating in the stands. So it, it's going to be tough. Uh, the rest of the season does not look like The the outcome, the the forecast has changed by any means. So now they got UNC up next. But before we get into that, Courtney, who was a player that you think uh, was key to FSU's victory?
1: On the offensive side, it's hard not to say Jordan Travis. You know, like he was all over that field scrambling left and right just to get yardage on plays. He kept several of the drives going for the Seminoles. And He ultimately led that team to victory. Like you said, Milton probably wouldn't have gotten the win if they put him on that field. So I think Jordan Travis kind of set the foot for the entire FSU offense and seeing him run the ball like that encourages his O-line to just work harder and harder to get better. And then on the defensive side, say his name every single game, but Jermaine Johnson, he's all over the place making tackles left and right. So I think between the two of them, they – they're the leaders on their, on their sides of the ball right now, and they just need to motivate the guys, and I think Coach Norvell sees that as well in them.
0: Yeah, Jermaine Jones, I think, is easily the best player in this team. It's still crazy to me how he didn't make the Georgia squad, and obviously yeah. Georgia is showing everyone why they're a top two team in the nation, maybe even number one by the end of the season. But Jermaine Jones is definitely an NFL caliber player, and Jordan Travis might not be that, but right now, he is so elusive sometimes and he's just so hard to game plan because he can turn a five yard sack into a 10 yard Mm game and that that little bit of magic uh for the fsu team it it definitely elevates their their dynamism um because right now they don't really have any offensive threats other than maybe Trayshawn ward and jay corbin uh they too i believe are top 10 in the nation in rushing yards um which is quite impressive considering how bad this FSU team has been. But Trayshon Ward has really impressed me, Uh, a redshirt freshman. Um, He's got so much pace, so much speed. Um, His vision seems to be getting better and better each week, and he definitely seems to have the hands to become a three-down back in the future. But Trayshon Corbin is obviously the bell cow of this offense for now. Um, He's not been able to – Trayshon hasn't been able to – take over completely. And I don't think he will ever in this season because they definitely need a two, two running back committee for, for the time being because no, no running back is uh, able to take the punishment that the FSU O-line will, will make them endure um, as well as the, the amount of carries that, that would and touches that would um, ensue. But overall, I don't think we learned much from the FSU team this weekend. Um, we learned that F, the Jordan Travis might be the way to go. Um, that obviously has a lot to do with his health because the way that he plays like we've talked about
1: it's it's very conducive yeah. to
0: putting himself out there and it's not because he doesn't slide or he's like too aggressive but it's just the way that he scrambles every single time in addition to the way that the the fseo line doesn't protect him enough right. um, it's
1: not it's not hard to get to him and thankfully when they get to him he can he can scramble but yeah. at some point he's he's gonna take a big hot, a big shot
0: Yeah, and he's taken a beating. He's taken a beating, um, and he's only started two games, Yes, and he's already been injured. He he hasn't played the last two games because of an injury, correct?
1: Yes, and then last season, he was fighting the shoulder injury. Exactly. He's he's injury-prone, and it's Mm -hmm. because of the style of football that he's having to play when he's out there for Florida State.
0: Exactly. I mean... That's that's something concerning, uh, especially considering the way that Mackenzie Millen seems to be facing out of this team. You start looking at Chuba Purdy and Tade Rodmaker, and you ask yourself, are they capable of coming in and doing something similar to either quarterback? And I'm not sure yes is the answer, but at the same time, at some point this season, FSU will ask themselves, hey, do we still want to keep fighting for wins this season, or do we want to see what players are going to be here next year and who do we actually need to give them a little bit more experience, uh, so they can come in better prepared next year? Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Chuba sees the field at some point this season. I
1: was expecting to see him at least one drive against Syracuse, so I'm I'm on the same wavelength that we'll probably see him come out on the field for the Seminoles pretty soon and just like you said, probably Norvell wanting to see what his younger men have to offer for the upcoming seasons
0: yeah and I mean the FSU offense is as better as it is with Jordan Travis was still six of 15 on third downs they were two of two on fourth downs credit to them but they still only averaged 5.5 yards per play and Jordan only threw for 131 yards on the air his completion percent was 69 percent, but that's obviously because when he's playing, it definitely seems like the offense is trending towards a shorter side of the game or shorter side of the field in the passing game. He'll take shots every once in a while, and sometimes there are some beauty, beauty, <laughs> beautiful throws. But, yeah, um, there's, not, there's not much else to say on, on the offense um, other than, like, this is not – I don't think this is a strong suit of the team. I think the defense somehow – Is a strong two? Would you agree, Courtney? Yeah,
1: I would definitely agree with that. The defense of the Seminoles has continuously gotten better each and each game. You know, like we might have been – they may have been 0-4 going into this game and they got their first victory, but you look at the five games played by the defense and the amount of stops they've had, Jermaine's tackles, like all their statistics, and they've performed very well on that field. But when the offense doesn't execute, the defense almost means nothing because – they're going to let up points and you need to score points to react to what the other team's offense is doing.
0: Yeah, Jermaine Johnson leading them with six sacks. He almost had a seventh sack with a strip sack on Garrett Schrader for Syracuse, but then it was turned over into a incomplete pass after the officials reviewed it, which I think it was fair. Um, Speaking of Garrett Schrader, I mean, yeah, we're giving credit to the Seminole defense, but once again, this is an occasion where the offense and the defense can't seem to be playing at the top of their game at the same time. And because of that, they allowed the opposition to come back into the game. Garrett Schrader only throwing for 150 yards on the air, but just like Jordan Travis had a career high in rushing yards, Garrett Schrader did his best Jordan Travis impersonation, rushing for 137 yards on the ground and three touchdowns combined. And that's counting even a fourth down stop in the goal line. Um, so I didn't know that Garrett Trader was this super phenomenal quarterback coming into the game, but after it, I was like, man, I didn't know they had this talent at, uh, Syracuse, but that's what the FSU defense will do. They, they will highlight the players of the, of, of the other team. They'll, they'll introduce us to maybe promising stars of the future in the NFL, but.
1: Yeah. When he had his 55 yard touchdown run, I think it was. Honestly, I know we've been bragging on him, but I think it was Johnson that missed the tackle on that play. Mm. And Scherter just took off down the field, and that's kind of when my eyes were opened and was like, wait a minute, this kid has some talent with his feet. And, you know, he showed it the whole game, and it just seemed like the seminal defense did not have an answer to his running in particular. They may have had an answer for the rest of the Syracuse offense, but they just could not stop him the second he took off of the ball.
0: Yeah. Um Another thing that I have to point out is how the drag routes and the crossing routes were just killing the FSC Seminole yeah. defense. Um, so many of them were just wide-open receivers, missed assignments on the defensive end, and even then missed tackles. Missed tackles was something um, that we hadn't seen as much for the Seminole defense somehow this season, but once they they correct the penalties and these other things, now they find another way to... Um, kind of shoot them, shoot themselves on the foot. And another thing I forgot about with Jordan Travis is he threw an interception in the fourth yeah. quarter on a screen pass, which they had, they'd been going to the screen passes the whole game. And at one point they made a, a fake screen wide receiver bubble, and they hit um, I think it was Parchman uh, on the touchdown. Yeah. or maybe it was Keyshawn Helton. But yeah, the the screen game was something that FSU went to time and time again. And this time it cost them. And it was a beautiful interception by Deuce Chestnut, which is one of the funniest names I can think (laughs) of on college football today. But, yeah, he he seems to be a promising young DB for the Orange. And uh, I don't know. My main takeaway, like I said, is we didn't learn much from the FSU team this weekend. Um, we, We knew that this was not the worst team in the nation. We knew that this team was flawed um, we knew this team had a lot to work on and that this was not going to be the season. So I don't think much has changed, but we did see some improvement. We saw improvement on the situational game uh, aspect with the third downs, the fourth downs, even the turnovers, um, even though they still lost the turnover battle. They only committed two turnovers, which that's, that's how bad FSC football yeah. is right now. Um, two is better than Five, that, four, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I mean, nobody else really stood out to me. I mean, the receiving options are are bare and thin. Uh, The defensive end, the the DBs are still learning. They're still getting experience. The linebackers, I'm not sure there's the talent there that you would hope for. Uh, And then the defensive line, they're still the leading crew of the unit. Um, Courtney, is there anything else that we missed?
1: You just got to hope that when they went back in the locker room, Norvell told those – Kids that they they did what nobody thought they could do, you know? Mm-hmm. There was talk across the, across the sports world that Florida State was going to go defeated in football this season. Mm-hmm. So, as far as for the coaching staff and the players, this was a victory that was much needed. Mm-hmm. And all you can do is see what they bring against UNC in this upcoming week.
0: Yeah, and... I guess we can get into it now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> UNC, that's, that's who the Knolls are playing this weekend. And, boy, are they in for a tough one because Vegas sees them as a 17-and-a-half underdog as of today, I believe. And I don't see that as a bad line because not only is UNC a team that came in with a lot of expectations with quarterback Sam Howell uh, being a leading candidate for the Heisman uh, at least coming into the season. Maybe not so now, but he's still a very talented young quarterback, and FSU is, is lacking in a lot of areas, and traveling has been an issue for them this season. It definitely seems like they thrive more playing under the lights of Doak Stadium. Um, what's your read on this game, Courtney? Is there any hope? I don't want to start off this segment right off the bat with saying, oh, is going to lose, but if we're going to have to be plain and simple about it, what what are fans going to expect from the game?
1: You know, as an FSU fan, they're probably sitting there thinking about the game last year. Yeah. That was that was our that was our Notre Dame game except we actually walked away with that win. Yeah. So you have to wonder, is it something about the UNC team that the FSU team can handle? Was it just a little bit of Florida State luck last season? Um there's no denying the talent that's on this UNC team. Sam Howell is He's thrown for fifteen hundred yards already this season. He's leading this team to what you couldn't imagine. You know, UNC wasn't ever a big name in the college football world, but here we are. You know, Florida State's now the big underdog, and I just I don't see I don't see it going in Florida State's favor. But like I said, maybe we'll get that little bit of luck like we had last year.
0: Yeah. Oh, how the turns have tabled. That's what yeah. I would say. <laughs> um, I remember. Growing up, UNC was not a team I would ever consider as a threat to the FSC Seminoles. but
1: They were the yeah. Michael Jordan school. Yeah, that's they that's were the, what they were. <laughs> they <laughs> Nothing were the, else to them. They
0: were a basketball school, and, and now we are as basketball school yeah. as well as a soccer school. But, yeah, I mean, traveling to UNC in itself will be, will be troublesome, I think. I, I, don't, I don't see this team really turning up. Um, maybe, maybe the win... We'll encourage them and, and we'll, we'll get them more, more motivated into the game as well as knowing that they're the underdogs because what we saw against Jacksonville State was, hey, we almost just beat Notre Dame, a top 10 ranked team in the nation. Um, our recruiting class was there. Everyone was there. It was a nationally televised game. So we got the, the swagger back. We got the confidence. We, we, we think we're turning the page on this bad era of FSU football. And now we got Jacksonville State and we're playing at home, so like, there's no way we're going to lose, right? And I didn't see the same level of effort by the players or even by the coaching staff in that game, and I think that's something that we've talked about enough, not in this podcast, but I think if you've followed FSU football this season, everyone's talked about how in that game, FSU FSU just got cute. From the start of the game, they they set the wrong tone, and I think that's something that they're not going to do against UNC. I think they're going to come out with everything that they got because they know that if they go one and five, it doesn't get easier uh, after UNC. Um, they have UMass. That's the one team you're looking at maybe beating. Um, I believe that's over Homecoming. Yeah, it's
1: not going
0: to be on October 23rd. So it's not going to be pretty going into the bye week, which I believe is coming up as well. Yeah,
1: it's not this weekend, it's next weekend. Right.
0: So if you lose to UNC, fall to one and five bye week. Then you have UMass, but after that, Clemson, Miami, Florida, it's going to be a mess. Um, so the reality is this is not necessarily a winnable game, but if there's going to be a winnable game in this schedule, it might be this one. Who knows? And FSU did pull off the opposite last year. They, they played them, uh, and, and they pulled off the opposite. That, that's all I have. I don't really have the, much else.
1: The, the thing to look for in the defense, you know, Sam Howell has been sacked 22 times. And our defense has been very quick to make contact to the opposing quarterback. So the Seminole defense just needs to go out on that field and put pressure on UNC's O-line and just hope that they can do what they did against Syracuse and not let them convert the third downs.
0: Yeah, for all the the hate that the FSU O-line gets, UNC's is almost right up there with them. So... Um, it, it's a weakness against a, a strong suit for, for FSU in that area. And it might disrupt Sam Howell enough, especially at the start of the game. But my fear is if it doesn't, then FSU is going to be in there for a long night because this team is not one to come back necessarily. This is a team built primarily on the running game if it, if it is to be built on anything right now. And I think the way to FSU can even keep this game close is through starting off the game like they did last week, starting off on the right foot, and limiting what the UNC offense does so that they can set up the ground game with Treshawn Ward and Sean Corbin, and obviously let Jordan Travis be a part of that as well. Um, and limiting turnovers is also a key. That's needless to say. But if FSU gets into losing the turnover battle as they did last week, that's when they're going to let UNC um, just roll over them. And... I don't see I don't see this team really coming back or even showing that much of a fight, maybe in garbage time, I yeah. guess. But I don't really see them uh, overcoming adversity as much as they, they showed us last week.
1: I think the big thing from last week is FSU went on that field and they scored on their first drive, and we took the lead in the first quarter. When was the last time FSU had a lead?
2: I, I, I was trying to remember. I was trying to remember last week. I was trying
1: to remember, and, like, That's the thing. So if we go out there and UNC puts points up on the board right away, Jordan Travis, or whoever ends up being back at the quarterback, and Norvell and the whole coaching staff, they have to play pick-me-up already. And that isn't something that Seminole team has been good at at all this season. So, yeah, the the first score of the game is going to matter in the long run of it all.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, Jordan Travis is not going to be put in a position – where he's going to be throwing to four receiver sets and just letting, letting the ball loose the whole the whole second half. And if that's the case, then I, I anticipate the Seminoles to have at least four turnovers by the end of this game, yeah. which is not a recipe for success by any means. Um, like I said, the line is 17.5. Great teams cover, good teams win. So if FSU covers and keeps it close, I will not say this is a victory. But once again, I think FSU fans are looking for improvement by this point in the yes. season. They're not aspiring for a, for a bowl game. They're not aspiring to to really do much this season other than see improvement, see players that they can count on next season, make sure that the recruiting class they have currently stays afloat because as we've heard, one of their biggest prospects is not looking very pleased with the way the team has looked despite his many times he's tried to... You know, calm like any rumors. He's not
1: leaving. I'm staying. I'm, I'm a Seminole. I'm a Seminole. But you know, he was at Georgia this weekend. Travis Hunter. Yeah. That's that's where it gets a little tricky with these games. It's yes, we're not. They're not at a winning stage yet. The coaching staff is still trying to figure out their ways. This is Norvell's second season here, but recruiting, it's gonna hurt them mm-hmm. and. That's why even against a team like UNC, this team has to give it their all and just show the younger athletes out there that this that they are a good football program and there are there are positives of coming to the school even if there's not a winning record attached to the program.
0: Yeah, because I think everyone can say, "Hey, FSC football is a staple. FSC football is a national brand that has a lot of history, a lot of culture." And at some point, FSU football will come back to dominance. I believe that. I think if you don't believe that, then you're probably a Miami fan. (laughs) But whatever the case is, your record says who you are. And right now you're sitting at one and four. And going back to last season, Mike Norville is still four and ten as a coach.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, It's not very promising. And yes, he's had to face a lot of adversity, COVID, dropouts, a lot of players from last year. I know there's people that really want to pump the brakes on any, any sort of talk on, on firing him, especially with the way the FSU financial situation is. But as a prospect, I cannot imagine looking at this team every week and telling myself, oh, I'm going to come in there next year and Mike Norvell and the rest of the crew will, will be there in open arms ready for me to contribute to a winning football program. And I wouldn't blame anybody if they changed their mind on coming to FSU because, I mean, is there improvement? I think so. Maybe a little bit. But how patient can you really be as a prospect or as an outsider to this program? I I, I, I think it's,
1: it's important to realize that these athletes that are getting ready to come to the college level, they're past the point of this is an I game. It's, it's a we game. You don't play by yourself it's the people around you that matter so as as a as a prospect coming into Florida State they'll probably looking at that field and they see the defense just break down they see the offense break down they see the O-line just getting hit left and right they see the wide receivers not running routes properly and they probably sit there and question am I really the answer to that offense or defense it's not one player that can change everything it's the matter of how the team performs as a whole and one player does the wrong thing and it can really mess up the entire game plan that Norvell and his staff had set forward for that game.
0: Yeah I mean special teams was something I actually forgot to talk about in the Syracuse game. FSU was aided a lot by Syracuse's backup punter. He averaged I believe 30, 33 yards which is not good if you don't know what a punter should be averaging but there were plenty of punts that were nowhere near what they should have been and FSU had good starting field position on those times. But when it came to kickoffs, Jaquie Douglas, a redshirt freshman who's been tasked with kick returning for the whole season so far, has not been very good, to put it plainly. Um, I, I was questioning how they were leaving him by the second half, because even in the first half, he was just jogging. And FSU had multiple drives starting off before their 25, 20, sometimes even 15-yard line, which... I mean, field position is huge for a team that has a struggling mm-hmm. offense like FSU does. And then obviously, um, Ontario Wilson, one of the most, most experienced players on that offense, redshirt, or I think he's a junior. Um, he muffed a punt uh, when FSU had a two possession lead, and they could have actually taken it to the to the to the orange. But going away from that game again, um, that yeah, was a good
1: point though. The special teams were something to talk about from that game. And the and, punts were not the best looking punts from either either side of the field.
0: In all honesty. Yeah, and FSU and Syracuse both missed an extra point, but obviously uh, Ryan Fitzgerald, he came in clutch with the last field goal, last second field goal, to win it for the Noles. But I think we can kind of shift our gears into FSU soccer, which is something a little bit more More positive.
1: More exciting sport for for Seminole fans.
0: And... FSC Soccer, where do you start other than the fact that they're undefeated once again this season, unlike the, the football team. And, <laughs> we're, the, uh,
1: we're the football school, but not F U T. There you go.
0: <laughs> and Marker Recorian, the coach, just earned his 300th win last week. And he's been around for a little bit. Um, I think 15, maybe 20 seasons now. And, I mean, this team looks to be on track to go to the final. Once again, uh, last year, they went to the national championship against, I believe, Santa Clara, which was kind of a fairy tale story for them yeah. because they were not very, very ranked throughout the season, um, even a small
1: little school that nobody really had their eyes on. And all of a sudden, there they were competing against Florida State.
0: Yeah. yeah, they they beat some of the teams that FSU is supposed to encounter in the final, according to some of the media and fans. but. Yeah, Santa Clara. Um, that's in the past now. FSU is facing Syracuse tonight, actually, uh, as we're reporting on Thursday. They play Miami then on Sunday, in a short turnaround. Um, FSU women's soccer usually plays about two games each week, which to me is kind of crazy, considering how good the ACC is. It's a lot of wear and tear that these players go through, especially after going through a whole year of you know having to wait like five months to actually play. Uh, in the national championship or not the national championship but but the playoffs in route to national championship and this is a squad that has a lot of great players uh, so it's not that they're thin it's not that they don't have a bench that they can go to but it's just the fact that they've played so many games in the span of two three years now um, which is something that i'm kind of worried about going into the postseason with them um, they obviously play once again in the acc The best division in soccer um not even my opinion it's kind of factual
1: yeah it is i mean the players will agree to it too the coaching staff everyone knows that if you're in the acc conference in soccer you're lined up for a tough matchups and you know not to mention the fact that like you were saying how you got to be worried about the seminal team getting tired at some point after miami on this this upcoming weekend that'll be four straight acc matchups for them started with louisville then the clemson now syracuse and then you're Miami so
0: yeah and I don't think these are these are top of the notch teams not to poo-poo on them but I don't think these are tests necessarily for FSU uh, when it comes to are these teams that are going to compete to the level of of what FSU women's soccer is but much rather is this this is more of a test of attrition this is a test of can this team continue to just dominate the other teams continue to have had success on their possession-based f- football or soccer, whatever you want to call it. And I mean, the, like I said, the ACC has six teams in the top twenty-five. Three of them, I believe, are near the top five, including FSU. So um, they're definitely not playing in scrubs. But this, th- this that just shows how good FSU women's soccer is um, the last couple of years. Players like Jalen uh, Wanger and, or I'm sorry, Jalen and Wanger and um i mean Jui zhao there's so many of them to really point out but one that i really want to highlight is the transfer of the summer beata Olson. i believe that's how you pronounce it uh sophomore forward from nonetheless than
1: that, that other school, that other school in, in
0: in gainesville that city that starts with a g in florida Just
1: cannot say the actual school name
0: yep and yeah, she's she's been superb. She's been world class there. I say for the for that for the Seminoles, in a team where with, with so many experienced players, she just comes in, and not that she isn't experienced because she's played for the the national team a little bit, um, the U17s, and, and a little bit of uh, small clubs over there in Europe. But yeah, I got to interview her for an article I'm actually publishing this weekend for the FSVU And she just talked about how she wasn't really bought into the new coaching staff, um, for the Gators over there. And due to that, she decided to change to take her talents to Tallahassee. And I mean, FSU fans are more than happy to have her because as good as the team is, I think not necessarily a weakness, but perhaps something that they could have improved on was their finishing and just the, the number nine player for them. I I didn't think that they had a, a necessarily out-and-out striker um, like like Olsen uh, has been playing for them. They they definitely have midfielders who can create, they have even wingers who um, can stretch the field at times. But when it comes to somebody who can strike the ball whenever they get the ball and put it in the back of the net, I think Olsen is by far their best player. And it, it's just like another weapon for this team um, for, for opposing defenses to worry about.
1: And you know, looking at the stats of the entire team, her numbers prove everything you just said. She's their leading goal scorer with eight goals. She only has one assist, but that's because she tends to just handle herself and make it happen. She's had 23 shots on goal. Um, she's she's the powerhouse up front for them lately. And you put her next to Claire Robbins and Jenna nice and they're feeding the cyst all over that field and it's only gonna get better and better as this team continues to work together from game to game.
0: Yeah, and like I said, this is what the Seminoles needed. They didn't need somebody else to come in and handle the ball necessarily, more so do something with the ball once they get it near the – Just that
1: extra oomph to the offense, and that's exactly what she's brought into this team.
0: Yeah, and the Seminole defense as well deserves a lot of credit. They're arguably the better side of of the field. Um, They are just unstoppable, or I guess they are the ones that stop everything else. And they've allowed a couple more goals than last season, last season, last year. I didn't think anybody was going to score against them until the playoffs. And there's a reason why FSU had like 11 minutes where they were actually trailing behind the whole season um, coming into the final. And this year they're, they're doing a pretty good job as well. Um, (laughs) Their keepers, which they have been rotating uh, because according to Mark Ricori and their coach, they're they're very much on the same page. They're they're not much better than the other. So he wants to keep them both uh, ready to go in case there's ever an injury or or anything else.
1: He's a he's a big believer in his bench isn't just his bench. His bench yeah. can be his starting. His starting can be his bench. Exactly. I I've spoken to him several times asking him because if you watch a Florida State women's soccer game, they do they make a lot of substitutions. So many. And he says that's that's a big reason for their victories. You know, he can trust anyone he puts out on that field. And that's a world of a difference for some teams. Some teams only have their, their starting 11 and that's it. They don't really go to their bench for much else, but he does and the Seminoles soccer team just works together no matter who, who's on that field, who's in goal and whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I think what we have to speak about with that is not the fact that they actually have this much talent to go with a great coaching staff, but the fact that they can pair each other well, because I've seen other teams, at least in in professional men's soccer, where there's a lot of talent, but the coaching staff can't really get them to play in a rhythm and get that chemistry going. So for them to be subbing that much and be playing with so many different players, um,
1: It's very impressive. It's
0: it's quite impressive. And it's the reason why FSU is able to win so many games and not necessarily have to like suffer from the, the wear and tear. Um, but rather they, they have strength in numbers and that's something we're going to continue to see this season. Um, so I, I'm i not much worried for, for FSU's chances tonight or on Sunday. I'm much rather looking forward to what they're going to do once the, the big games come around. Because yeah. by the end of the season, they're going to be playing um, big time rivals like UNC and so on. So those are the games I'm much more looking forward to. But I mean, for an FSU fan... <laughs> I would say it's a lot more enjoyable to go and catch a game at um, the, the ballpark over there um, near, I think, is it Pensacola Street? No, it's not. It's
1: right good. off of, like, Stadium Drive. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Near Stadium Drive, and yeah, it's a little hot, but once again, watching them score five times and just dominate the possession, it, it's, at least for me, a fan of soccer. It's exciting. It's, it's pretty enjoyable. It's fun to watch. Yeah, get to yeah. see your, your team win.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too nervous about how they'll close out this month of October as they get ready to go into the ACC tournament. They have, like we talked about, lots of ACC matchups, but they're just the powerhouse of college soccer right now, and they've been at the top this long. It's hard to see them falling off anytime soon. Um, Seminole fans and the soccer team can only hope for a better turnout in the actual championship tournament. You know, t- to watch them losing PKs. Yeah, that was that was tough for the team and fans. So you just got to hope that they bounce back and it seems to be like they have a very good chance of doing that. So they're definitely an exciting team to be watching if you're a Florida State fan.
0: Yeah. One one last thing, I guess is just the fact that they have turned around this season and they haven't focused at all on what happened in the last game, uh, the way that they were playing their, their usual game and, and dominating possession. And it ended up costing them because of a turnover and the defense. They, they allowed a last five-minute goal, and and because of that, they had to eventually go into penalties. Um, but there's been no questions over um, whether this coaching staff is the right one, or if the players are looking back on it and, and questioning themselves over if this is the type of style of, of soccer that they want to be playing. But rather, they're embracing it and they're continuing to to do their thing. Each player seems to be very much content, um, and with the new addition of Beata Olson, I mean this is, this has to be the, the the number one ranked team in the nation right now and going forward probably as well. Um, but that's, I think all we got for this episode of yeah. talk and shop. Um, so thank yeah. you so much for listening. Um, Courtney last, what last words?
1: Just lots of hope for our FSU football team, <laughs> soccer, soccer should have a good few games and yeah. We'll be back next week with updates from all this, plus more on FSU sports.
0: I guess we can give, actually, prediction if, if you don't oh,
1: mind. Let's go for it.
0: Let's put the pressure on you, Courtney. What is the score going to be on Saturday?
1: Oh, gosh.
0: 3.30 p.m. kickoff.
1: At UNC. At UNC. With a, 17 and a half spread.
0: If you want to say if FSU is going to cover, maybe
1: that that's, uh, that's more doable. <laughs> I don't see FSU covering oh, it. Oh, man. I, unfortunately, as much as I wish I could. Maybe me saying this will bring some <laughs> luck towards that team because I tend to have bad luck with my predictions. So we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: There you go, FSU fans. You got Courtney's...
1: <laughs> bad luck mojo.
0: The the reverse jinx <laughs> on your side, hopefully on Saturday. But for me, I, I have to go with UNC, not just in, in the score but also in the spread. Um, actually, no, I changed my mind. I, I'll take FSU in the spread. Um, barely, though. I, I I think it'll be...
1: The will do one by, like, 16 yeah, instead of 17. Yeah, a game of
0: inches on the spread, not on the actual yeah. score. I, I do think the game at some point will feel a little close, but I really don't see this team overcoming any sort of adversity um, and, and battling through. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in a week I'll be praising Mike uh, praises. But, yeah, uh, right now that's, that's all we got. <laughs> not much hope for FSU fans. But thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, this will hopefully be a weekly uh, podcast. And yeah, you can check us out on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, wherever it, is that, wherever it is that you get your podcast from. But thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talk and Shop. This is your host, Gabe Tisness once again, behind the mic. It's been a couple of weeks since I was on the show and boy, am I happy to be back on the show. Once again, the show is produced by WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, and presented by the Florida Flambeau. Um, FSVU is the FSU student-run newspaper, and I get the privilege of writing for them almost every week, as well as my partner
2: today, Max Rundy, who's joining me for his debut on the show. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's it's a busy week here up in Tallahassee, and I'm really looking forward to get down and talk about all the things we got going on. Yeah, we we have a couple things to talk about, especially...
0: With the Hurricanes coming up to Tallahassee for Rivalry Week. Um currently the Knolls are two and a half point underdogs, which to some it's not so surprising, but it's definitely disappointing for Seminole fans. They have a 3:30 p.m. kickoff tomorrow at Doke. But we're also gonna be talking about FSU Hoops. They had their season opener on Wednesday against Penn, and they got the W, so there's some positive news for positive news for for Seminoles fans there as well as positive news on the soccer pitch with FSU women's soccer. They came in to the ACC final as the number two ranked team, surprisingly, after they tied with Virginia a couple of days earlier, 1-1 at home. But they got the job done. They, they won 1-0 thanks to a Clara Robbins goal. But before we get into that, I think we've got to start off with probably the thing that most people are looking forward to, which is FSU versus Miami tomorrow and it is going to be a huge game even though to some it might not feel like it because the way that FSU football has been this season there's not much to celebrate even with a W here Um, but at the same time a win against Miami it doesn't get better better than that and I think a lot of the players and even some of the fans are going to turn up for it so Max what what do you think about this game what are you looking for is there uh, anything that people need to know about this game going into it
2: so I'll start by saying earlier this semester on v89 sports I was a panelist and we were talking about what could we do or what could FSU do to turn around this football season even just a little bit and everyone was just like maybe keep getting the fans in win a couple of good games but everyone was like the season's basically over just wait till next year I straight up said if we beat Miami The fans, the city, and the team themselves will turn around, and it will be a great launching pad into the offseason and into next fall. I think this is a make-or-break game for Norville especially because of how poor he has performed so far against our rivals, especially Miami. But this is an intriguing matchup. Neither one of these otherwise historically great football programs have performed very well this year. Miami's had some injuries at the quarterback position, but Tyler Van Dyke has stepped up and is throwing all over every team he faces. I I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a gunslinger matchup. Honestly, I, I think FSU will be able to put up some points against this Miami defense, which has the turnover chain and they're not very good at getting turnovers.
0: Yeah, I mean the thing that stuck out to me from that is just Mike Norvell and this is his debut against Miami because I believe last year he had COVID, <laughs> so he didn't even get a chance to coach them on the field. So. I'm sure he had some sort of input going into it, and, you know, they they figure things out with Zoom and, and everything, but not having him on the field is definitely uh, a disadvantage to them, as much as we want to poo-poo on, on Mike Norvell. <laughs> I do think that having him back on the silence year two, there's, there's a lot of expectations on him, and the Seminole squad needs to perform because it is one of their last games of the season. Um, you know, coming off the NC State game, I think that's where we should also start is remembering where FSC is coming from, you know, this loss that um, it wasn't necessarily unexpected because, you know, NC State is a pretty decent team. They were ranked number 19 coming into the game. And while the Knolls the were playing at home, they were underdogs, once again, as they have been for the majority of the season. And they did not really look competitive against them, even though at the end of the day, they falter 28 to 14. Uh, in my opinion, once again, they were not very competitive. But in the second half, there there were some shining spots there that they, they tried to keep it close, but I, as a as a viewer, I never really expected them to to be able to overcome uh, some of the the inefficiencies of that offense that that plagued them because of Jordan Travis's absence.
2: That's that's the key to the offense, and without him, they they just can't turn on the engine. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The standout factor in this loss was not having Jordan Travis. Mackenzie Milton did his best to come in after six weeks off and perform. But he was terrible in the first half. He really was. And that's just not him either. The whole offense was as stagnant as possible. We had, or FSU had negative three rushing yards at halftime. In total, they had something like 38 rush yards, which going into that game, they were averaging almost 210. 210. They were 10th in the nation Mm -hmm. with rushing yards per game. And they put up like 38 Mm -hmm. against NC State. It's not Alabama's defense. It's it's NC State, not even that great of a football school usually. Mm-hmm. They're playing well this year in a year where the ACC is missing their powerhouse Clemson. Mm-hmm. But this game, and even you said it, the second half was a slight bright spot, but it's highlighted by a onside kick. Yeah. Without the onside kick, FSU might not score a single point in that game and lose a game they should win. NC State played really bad in my opinion. And it was a very winnable game if Jordan Travis were healthy.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if they would have won. I think I even predicted them to win going into the game. So what am I saying here? I don't know. But at the same time, I think NC State deserves a lot of credit for, for being uh, as good as they have been this season. But they've shown their, their, their moments, especially on the road, where, where they struggle. And I thought this was going to be one of them. And even without Jordan Travis, they didn't really seem to take advantage of all the, the issues that FSU posed on, on Saturday a week ago. And so, yeah, if anything, that, that makes you doubt where this team is at because you saw them against Clemson on the road, probably a better defense, if anything. And that tells you how much Jordan Travis is is, is valued in this team because against them, they put up more points and they, they looked a little bit more more competitive um, and without him at home against a team that, that's uh, at least inferior on the defensive side of the ball, you, you saw this offense struggle. I believe they had about 70 total yards in the first half, and they they I don't think they even converted a third down in the first half. Overall in the game, they were way below 30, 35% on, on third down, on the money down. So FSU has a lot to prove, once again, against um, Miami, and and I think you have to put a lot of things aside for this game because it is a rivalry game and neither team is necessarily in a good place, either as a program or in the season. So there's going to be a lot of pride on the table. It's going to be a big moment for a lot of players, especially the seniors, even though FSC doesn't have many. Um, So if anything, it's a, it's a new spot. It's a new stage for them to to showcase who they are, uh, take something into the off season, um, Max, what are your what, who are the players that you're most looking forward to this this game?
2: No doubt about it. It's the only player on FSU that you can consistently, week in and week out, look forward to watching. Jermaine Johnson. Okay. Jermaine Johnson has been a beast. Mm-hmm. He will be a top 15 pick at worst. And he, he shows so much promise against really talented O-lines. Miami's O-line is really not talented. Mm-hmm. They've struggled with the sack tremendously this year. Giving up the same amount, 27, on the season as FSU, who we all know do (laughs) not have the best Mm O-line. I think Jermaine Johnson will be the key factor in making this game competitive. Mm. If he can get out there, and it's not just him, the D-line especially. Mm -hmm. If they can really get that O-line pushed back quickly and rush that passer, they will not be able to connect on those deep balls that they thrive on and Mm -hmm. survive on a lot of the time so much and I think Jermaine Johnson's the big takeaway if Travis is healthy and returns from the classic FSU Tallahassee plague well I think I think this will be a good game I I don't know what your prediction is going to be I I got a high scoring game and I think it'll be a one score game by the end
0: Hmm. yeah we'll get into our predictions in a little bit I think we can build up a little bit more the anticipation but Miami currently has I believe a four game winning streak three-game winning streak, something like that. Um, and I mean, they're, they're going to turn up. So it is definitely going to be imperative for the defensive line to turn up because you know, when you look at the rest of the defense, uh, I think that's where 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 the strengths are. And and not just Jermaine Johnson, but also Keir Thomas. He had two sacks against NC State. He got ACC defensive lineman uh, honors this past week. And I, I think it's gonna be a team effort on the defensive side of the ball. I don't see how Jermaine Johnson pulls out a master class as much as FSU fans would probably like it to be. Um, we saw him have a pretty good show against uh Clemson and not even that was enough. So I'm looking at Keir Thomas, I'm looking at DJ Lundy, and I I, I wanna say some sort of D B, but I, I can't trust them. I I know there's some bright spots, I know there's some some interesting performances, but I don't trust any of them, uh, especially on the deep pass. Uh, so, on the offensive side of the ball, though, I do think that this is an opportunity for them to get back on track. Obviously, it'll all depend on Jordan Travis' health. Uh, I believe he tweeted that he is going to play, so no worries on that side. But how well will he play, because this is his first game since he got the flu, the tally flu being undefeated. You never know how long that thing is gonna last. So if he doesn't really turn up and if he doesn't perform like he usually does, then the run game will probably be limited as well. So then you turn to the passing game and and we we return to the same old question, who's gonna actually show up? Who's gonna help out the quarterback? Um, With a struggling offensive line, it's gonna be important for players like Cameron McDonald, I think, to help out Jordan Travis or whoever's back there because you never know what's gonna happen during the game. But, um, yeah, is there any other player on the offensive side of the ball that you're looking forward to watching?
2: I think you did end right there with a valid point. Not only mm-hmm. is Travis going to be healthy-ish, he'll be coming off something. FSU has no depth here. If he gets knocked out via injury or just doesn't feel well right before game mm-hmm. game time, this game's a wash. It, it's really just over at that point mm-hmm. because Milton Milton's just not what he was at UCF and mm-hmm. after however many leg surgeries he's had. But... I think the last one, and I said it before, the run game. The run game has to have a massive comeback this week. It, it was shocking last week to see how poor they were. and it, it was all across the board. Nobody could run the ball. Nobody got any open spaces. Our longest run was something like 8 yards or 10 yards at most, maybe. I, I really think it'll be up to the O-line and D-line to really control this game, as most football games really end up being. Yeah, and the question with the
0: run game is who is Mike Novell going to turn to? Because we've seen him throughout the whole season kind of feature Jay Sean Corbin as the lead runner, and then also sprinkle in Trayshon Ward most of the games. But there's times where Jay, or not Jay Sean Corbin, but uh, Lawrence Toofili starts to get more of the, the, the touches. Uh, sometimes even midway through the game, I think he likes to rotate them to keep the defense on edge, or, or maybe just kind of keep them all fresh. But yeah, I think that's one of the keys for the game. Is 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 are the running backs gonna be featured in in a very diverse way, or is it gonna be more so of a two two player um, committee? And I think Mike Novell is gonna have to actually put some in game adjustments to to work for once because I I don't see how the team is gonna come in prepared enough. We've never really seen the Seminoles under Mike Novell come in. And for the first half, completely shut down a team other than the UNC game. Actually, which UNC game? Both UNC games. Yeah. So, But after that, what, what's going to happen? Because we saw last year against UNC how the team allowed them to come back and almost win the game. And there's many other games where FSU has started off well, first drive, you know, scripted plays. They know what they're doing, but then once they're actually off script, and when you talk about Jordan Travis, he's always going to go off script uh, due to the inability to trust his receivers. So... I, I think it's going to come down to the coaching staff to actually help the guys out. And, you know, there's a lot of inexperience in this team. Like I said, one of the, the things that I'm looking forward to is how are these young guys going to show up to the Miami game? This, this is a very historical matchup. And even though it's not the bright spot for either uh, program right now, I think it still has a lot of weight and a
2: lot of pride to it. So, Max, what is it, what is it going to come down to? I think it'll come down to whoever has the ball last. (laughs) I really do. I I think it'll be something around the lines of like 34 to 37, something random up in there. I I think FSU's offense will have a good game, and I think it will be because of these explosive runs we see at times. Mm -hmm. I I think the passing game will be improved to some Mm -hmm. extent. I'll give Travis this. He at times is incredible. He is? He really is. He can connect on that deep ball, on the move, and it's not a worry. And other times he shows up and he just can't throw the football at all. Nor sometimes his receivers can't catch the ball at all. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a very high scoring game. Kickers might be important. Oh, man. Watch out for that. Oh, man.
0: You know, looking back at the NC State game, I just kept on telling myself is the punter really the highlight for FSU? And you know, kiddo, kudos to him because he had a good game, but um I do think that this is going to be a lower lower scoring game than what you're predicting. Um I I don't want to think about field position because FSU has had so many issues with kickoffs and punt returns. But if they don't get those type of issues fixed by Saturday, then I think the offense will struggle and they'll have to play catch up once again and it's going to really come down to Jordan Travis and his receivers. As much as I think the run game is the, the, the key to FSU success, I think if the receivers have a good game, then they'll probably be able to take the lead at some points in the game. But if they don't, then they'll be playing catch-up for most of it. And that's where I'm looking at players like Keyshawn Helton, who scored a touchdown last game. But it's in the deep game where they really need him because nobody can really stretch the field like he can. And then you need players like Cameron McDonald, to be able to be consistent on on the mid game and and the short game, um, to provide that 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 vouch for Jordan Travis, the receivers are gonna be huge. But with that being said, I do think that FSU is gonna lose, and I can't remember what I predicted on on V eighty nine Sports on Tomahawk Talk. Shout out to to that <laughs> to that show over there. But yeah, I do think FSU is gonna lose. I I, I go here and I, I try to put all my biases aside when I'm doing these shows, the the the, the Big J journalism, as we say. But I I just don't see uh, a parade tomorrow. Even if they win, I don't think they deserve a parade. But for for all that, for all that I can think that will happen, I I don't see this team winning because of the form that they're on. I I think the morale is is kind of looming on them right now with, with the two consecutive losses. They had two big opportunities to, to win games that would have really done a lot for them and they didn't take advantage of them. So I think this is going to be one of those cases where they're too inexperienced and they still don't know how to win. So sadly, I'm going to go with FSU 26 and Miami 33. So
2: Still pretty high scoring, though.
0: Yeah, and Miami will probably cover. Like I said, it's two and a half, so <laughs> not much there. So it's really gonna be a pick 'em, but, um, moving on to more positive news for FSU. The FSU basketball team is back, back on the court, and Coach Hamilton coached his team to victory against Penn on Wednesday night. Nine p.m. kickoff, a bit late, but, the 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 Tucker Center was packed. Oh, and yeah. did you
2: go to the game? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah yeah. It was awesome. It was, bumping in there. It really mm. was. First time since freshman year for us. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was wild. Great to see it again, though. Mm-hmm. Really great.
0: Yeah, last year uh, I got the privilege to go as a member of the press for the FSU, and it was it was incredible. It was it was kind of like going to a concert, but being the only fan mm. or one of the only f- few fans there, not because the band sucked, but because <laughs> there was uh, some off the field issues, to to say the least. But but yeah, FSU got back back to their winning ways, starting with the season one zero with a whole new crew because they lost a couple of standout players from last season including scotty barnes
2: who's now in the nba and killing it too. killing it yeah he's on pace to be rookie of the year maybe i I would really say so nine i think it's like 19 8 and 6 right now something you don't see that from rookies very often no and then his highlights are just
0: kind of like the same as in college so it's it's like he's still doing the things that he was doing in college but against better opposition now and thankfully he's he's in a good team i would say that that kind of as a place for him, but moving away from, from Scotty Barnes, he's he's done with FSC, so we'll, we won't talk too much about him today. But so his former team, he, he his team is doing pretty decent, I would say. They, they blew out Penn 105 to 70, and the game actually started off pretty close the first couple of minutes. Where, um, not what I expected, I thought FSC would have come out a lot stronger, but they didn't. They, they struggled shooting, I believe they were two of nine to start the game. But then they, they quickly got back on their feet and, and they remembered who they were. Uh, Max, what were you some of the takeaways from this game?
2: I mean, it's tried and true with Hamilton's coaching style. This defense is remarkable, mm-hmm. top to bottom. And this was a game without a center. We mm-hmm. had Raekwon or not Raekwon, Malik Osborne, six nine maybe <laughs> on a good day six nine, get thirteen rebounds, seven offensive, seven offensive rebounds, and they they dominated the glass. They dominated. Defense possession or uh, turnovers, turnovers, points scoring off tur- turnovers. All, really it was one sided, even mm-hmm. though it didn't really feel like it. Mm-hmm. The first half, it ended up being a good first half, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But it seemed within the first like couple minutes, of the second the game was just over, mm-hmm. like out of nowhere. Yeah. And I-, I don't know. I- I'll say this: I was lucky enough to cover for the office view. Also, the first scrimmage we played, mm-hmm. and. It was dominating, obviously. I think FSU played, like, Florida College or something random like that. I walked away with that game saying FSU's two best players would be Raquan Evans and Malik Osborne. Mm. If the game against Penn did anything, it just reassured that for me. These Mm -hmm. two will stand out tremendously this year. Yeah, Malik Osborne finishing with 18 points,
0: 4 of 6 for shooting. And Evans, 14 points, 5 of 9 for shooting. And, yeah, those are obviously going to be two huge players for FSU. Um, Coach Hamilton's teams have never really been about one or two players, but with some of the players that they lost, they're definitely going to need some players to step up into uh, bigger roles, including, I think, Anthony Polite, who finished with 17 points, uh, second below Malik Osborne, like we said, 5-9 shooting, 3-4 from three, and he played the most minutes out of the starting five, which... Once again, it didn't feature a true center, which is something that FSU fans might have to get accustomed to because they lost Balsa Kopravica. And yeah, he he was never really the All-American, let's to say the least, but he was definitely a player that I, I think FSU is going to miss this season. And they haven't been able to recruit any true center that, that can even come close to him. So the the, the small ball is something that uh, I think Coach Hamilton is gonna go to even more so than often, especially considering um, how was his starting lineup. It was something odd for me. I I thought he was gonna start off with with the center and just kind of see how the team fleshed out first, try to give everyone minutes. But no, he he wanted to go in for the kill and, and put out
2: his best five, and and that's that's who he put out there. I will say this: Penn, being an Ivy League school, is definitely not the skill, athleticism, or just. Mm-hmm recruiting that FSU will face in the ACC so later on in the season plus Nagam was hurt which Mm. I was unaware of at the time Mm. but later on in the season I do expect uh, Hamilton to integrate the center position a lot more the only issue is the only true centers FSU has is Nagam and Ballard Quincy Ballard Mm -hmm. Quincy Ballard does not look that good at least based on the one time I saw him in the scrimmage earlier on, mm-hmm. he just looks like he's seven two, which does help, yeah. don't get me wrong, Height is important. but Nagam is just much faster, much better out on the perimeter, and it doesn't just look like a deer in the headlights, like you do see with Ballard a lot. Mm-hmm. I think this will be a fun year to watch of FSU basketball. He, Hamilton has a lot of different options on hand. Most... Notably, the fact that he's got three highly ranked freshmen mm-hmm. not playing. Cleveland Matthew Cleveland mm-hmm. John Butler Jr. Who was the last one? Um, Matthew Cleveland. It's um, Warley mm-hmm. John or yeah. something Warley. Mm-hmm. All three of which are extremely talented. John Butler Jr. Being my favorite, he's a six eleven ball handler almost, and he can shoot from anywhere on the floor. He's got a lot of versatility this year and a lot of depth. He does love depth, even when we, even when Florida State doesn't have the depth they always have. He, Hamilton loves going 13-plus deep. This season, you should see a lot of that.
0: Yeah, something I, I'm trying to wrap my head around is the fact that they have 38 bench points because, like we talked about, Coach Hamilton likes to, to, to rotate his team, especially against a team like Penn um not to hate on them but they're not the opposition that FSC is going to expect as the season goes on um so for them to not really perform as well as I would have hoped for I I do think that that's something to keep in mind going forward but yeah I think the the three freshmen that you pointed out Max is a really good point because these are guys that are going to have to grow up really fast not because they're going to be necessarily starting all the time but because they're they're having to fill in big shoes, and this is a team that still has ACC hopes, winning the ACC championship and hopefully doing something similar to what they've been doing the last couple of years, if not exceeding those expectations. Um. So, what are you, what are your expectations for this team? Uh, not trying to get ahead of ourselves, you know, first game of the season, but uh more so on the on the national championship picture. Do you see them going beyond the Sweet Sixteen, maybe getting into the the Final Eight, or is this going to be one of those
2: seasons where you don't really know what to expect. Here's what I'll say. I I have a lot of faith in this year's Florida State team. I really do. I think they have a great mix of that veteran, experienced group and these super talented youngsters that are just going to develop as the season goes on and on. And I think, I think we just saw it in a meeting the other day. FSU's currently projected a five seed in March Madness. I think that's absurd. I really do. I think Florida State will be, at worst, a three seed. This this is a good basketball program nowadays. And they have the depth that they aren't even really accustomed to having. And I don't know. The three-point shooting is going to be better this year. They have a lot of shooters on this team, and it wasn't very good against Penn. But that's something that will come with time. Once you get more in the flow of basketball season, shooters will get hot. I think Florida State should be seeking to win the ACC yet again and I think they should be looking for elite 8 I, I I think it would be a downside of a season to say otherwise because there's a good chance even if none no th- even if, if the three rookies we have or freshmen even if they don't start all season there's a decent chance we lose at least one of them mm. I I think Florida State has a lot to look forward to and I think the 35 point victory against Penn it's it's not that much to be disappointed and it could have been a lot more but 105 points is not heard of from Florida State yeah. I saw before the show it was the 11th time ever Florida State's p- surpassed 100 points most recent 2015 against Nichols State
0: Florida yeah I, I also <laughs> saw that and I was like am I seeing correctly because it's not that's not very often that you see that from Florida State, and. You know, it's it's not often that you see that, but they still do a great job on the defensive side of the ball. And, I mean, as I was watching the game, I just kept on just trying to wrap my head around the fact that they were just hustling so much for the first game of the season. It was like they'd been waiting for this moment for a while. So there's definitely a lot of hunger in this team, and, and I think that's where the youth comes into play. I think they have the legs, they have the energy, and the motivation to actually perform. Not that the, the previous guys weren't, but you need that sort of motivation um for a whole season and the, the guys will be hungry once again. They're they're called the new bloods for a reason. And the the energy was there on the defense side defensive side of the ball. And a player that I was most looking forward to watching was Caleb Mills. I think he's a sophomore transfer. Um and yeah, from University of Houston. He he really impressed me. His hair is maybe my favorite part about his game. <laughs> But he definitely seems like a player that will probably be included in the starting five going forward. He's six 6'5". Um, so I just want to see how he fits in with Anthony Polite because Anthony's a pretty good shooter. So you're kind of trying to see who's going to pair up well with Raekwon Evans and Anthony Polite. And I think Caleb Mills will be that guy going forward. But I do think the expectations for FSU, I wouldn't say they need to be lowered. But at the same time, this is a young team that has a very experienced coach. So you almost see like the start of something new, and you get excited. And you, 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 you say to yourself, oh, this could be huge, this could be awesome. But there's also going to be growing pains that FSU fans need to expect at some point. But with that being said, is there anything else we should talk about, Max?
2: I think there is one very notable person we have yet not mentioned, and it's Cameron Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Cameron Fletcher, huge transfer FSU got in this year. Came off the bench, surprisingly. And even more surprisingly, someone filling that similar role was Wyatt Wilkes getting mm. the start. I personally kind of like Wyatt Wilkes, mm-hmm. but he's very disappointing <laughs> at times. Like He just didn't really look like he deserved the starting spot in this first game. And I expect by the end of the year, it will be Fletcher starting a lot more than Wilkes. And granted, this could have been one of those times since Tanner DeGon is hurt. Wilkes went in instead because he's got a little bit of that height. He's got the experience to rebound in college-level basketball. I think Cameron Fletcher, he had, I think it was like 15, 18 minutes, something around those lines, five steals. His defense is electric, and he dominated a good portion of that game. He had back-to-back steals on back-to-back possessions, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, I really like him, and I think, I think he'll be able to develop into this new system of his throughout the season. Yeah, I like what you're saying. He had nine points, four of eight shooting,
0: from the field, five steals, and only seventeen minutes and a plus minus of nineteen, compared to Wyatt Wilkes's four points, two of six shooting, including oh for two on, behind the three point range, and sixteen minutes. And Wyatt Wilkes is not a, a a rookie. He's he's somebody that's that's been here before, so I think it's maybe a little bit of respect to him. Um, obviously, we we talked about how Penn doesn't really need FSU's main, main energy, main focus. So um, maybe it's just getting him inserted into the lineup because like we, like we talked about, this is almost a new, uh, how do I say this, a new, a new way that FSU is gonna start to play. Uh, I do think that a lot of the things that they've been doing before are gonna carry over. But when we talk about the small ball lineup, they're gonna have to figure out how to actually perfect that to the best of their ability and Wyatt Wilkes will probably have a huge role in that because he is one of those three-point shooters that FSU needs to rely on, and while he may not be the best one, he's as good as FSU really has uh, at the moment, and, and we'll see how players like Fletcher develop as the season goes on, but there's a lot to look forward to in this team like we talked about. Um, moving on from FSU basketball, uh, a team that's been on their peak of their season a team that has not disappointed at all for a couple of years now, actually, the FSU women's soccer team. They won 1-0 against Virginia, number one-ranked Virginia in the ACC title. And, man, does it does it feel good to be able to say that because this team, I think, just deserves it. I mean, they've been unstoppable for most of the season until the, the, the latter points of it where they struggled against uh, some upper echelon teams like Virginia, who they tied 1-1 at home. Um, so the form going into the ACC tournament wasn't the best for them. They beat out Wake Forest 2-1 in overtime um, over in North Carolina, where the tournament was being held in pretty cold temperatures because it was played, I think, around 8 o'clock, which is a little late for the for the ladies. And, yeah, I I... I don't know what else to say that hasn't been said about this team. They're phenomenal. They deserve everyone's respect and and admiration for what they've been able to do the past four years under Mark Corian. And now they're heading into the national tournament against South Alabama, playing a couple hours from today. And obviously the expectation is for them to not just win, but probably blow them out as they beat them 4-0 earlier in the season. Max, is there anything that fans should know
2: about this team? I will say, South Alabama has done well within the Sunbelt Conference. It is their third consecutive championship and eight in their last nine years, which is actually very impressive. The key word here is Sunbelt Conference. <laughs> this is the best team in the nation we're talking about, like, noti- noticeably. Like, FSU women's soccer has dominated all season long, except for that rough stretch at the end of the year, which we talked about it a little bit on V89. Some people weren't too happy that that happened and it was a little worrisome. I'm on the side that you want those challenges mm-hmm. at the end of the year going into the playoffs. When it matters the most, you want to be coming off some hardships rather than it's the classic NFL. Do mm-hmm. you really want that first week bye? Because mm-hmm. I, as a Packer fan, we were the wild card the one year we've won it. The one year we've been to plenty of NFC championships. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> I I have a lot of expectations for today's matchup. I I don't think it'll be a good match whatsoever. I Mm -hmm. I think South Alabama, good for them. They've made it, but they get the UMBC. No, not the UMBC title, but they're the lowest lowest of the lows, and FSU's the highest of the highs.
0: Yeah, it's not the matchup you probably want to get paired up with if, if you're South Alabama or if you're anybody else, really, because this FSU team... Is 16-1-2 in the season, and like we talked about, they had a rough spot at the end of the season. Granted, they had some players off for international duty, um, especially against UNC. They had to play with back three, and it was their first game, so you know 2-2 two, two tie on the road. Probably don't want to complain about that. It was the one little loss against Duke that kind of scared me a little bit because um, obviously they didn't score, for starters. But, yeah, it was their first loss in the season, so you, you have to wonder how are they going to bounce back from this this is a team that, that had been going undefeated for quite a while, um, but it's also a team that's played a lot. It's played it uh, for years now. Uh, it's part of the freshman class from 2017, 2018 that's delivered so much for Marker Corian and the Seminoles. Um, so, fatigue is something to kind of wonder as the season goes on, but FSU took care of business against Virginia and. Clara Robbins, once again, she was the MVP, she scored the one goal, it was about 30 to 35 yards, it was impressive, uh, the goalie got caught out, once again, and FSU women's soccer has had so many so many highlight goals, it's it's ridiculous, um, as as a unbiased, once again, commentator, I will say, I've been a little bit scared of FSU's offense, because they're a very possession-based team, and They put up a lot of shots, but once you face the bigger teams, the the most uh, experienced teams, you don't nearly get the same level of possession. And so the shots that you're taking, they also become lesser. So their avenue towards scoring sometimes is going to be problematic throughout this NCAA tournament, but I do expect them to make it pretty far. I don't see this team really um, losing because they have so much experience, they know how to win. They know how to get it done, and Mark Corn is one of the best coaches in the business. So if they ever get into any f- risky business, I do think that he's gonna be able to read the game better than the other coach. Um and I mean talk about last year. We we saw this team lose against Santa Clara in the in the final in a very unexpected way because they were the number one ranked team. They they, they had the mojo. It was it was the big big team against the little team and the little team won. And that's that's what happens sometimes in these tournaments. But I do think that FSU has that hunger for revenge to to finally be able to cement themselves as national championships, national champions once again. Um, so I'm looking at players like Beata Olsen to be able to take that that scoring charge. Um, players like Yui Zhao, who who are seniors, and, and Jenna Nieswanger and oh, I think Jenna's a, a junior actually, but players like Jalen Howell, who are in their last seasons, um, and they definitely have a future in soccer going forward, but uh, this might be their last role with the Seminoles, and they probably want it in the high notes. So don't think we need predictions for, for FSU women's soccer tonight, but what do you, what do you think is going to happen going forward? Do you think they're going to make the final max? or
2: I think FSU should walk pretty easily f- through the first couple of rounds. Mm-hmm. I, I think the semifinal will be a little worrisome. I think that offense you're talking about could stall out, and I, I did notice because Duke was actually – the first article I wrote mm. for the FSU, and I'm not the hugest soccer fan in the world, <laughs> I won't lie. What a terrible way to start watching FSU on <laughs> soccer. That game, just the lack of, I hate to say it, almost effort. Mm. It, it was just not there. And yeah, it was in the middle of a long road trip. i I don't see that to happen again, though, because mm. they were missing three key players yeah. that night. And I think FSU should walk relatively easy into at least the semis Mm. semis could be an issue the final i hate to say this fsu's had a bit of a at least with within the realm of their women's sports Mm -hmm. of getting there Mm. and then kind of losing it the soccer team softball last spring i I don't think it'll happen because this this team showed domination this year that you don't commonly see Mm -hmm. I, i think i think it's theirs to lose i really do yeah and you look at other teams like Virginia,
0: and they already beat them, and, and they tied against them. So Virginia is also going to have to think about that if they ever get to face them uh, throughout this tournament. Um, Florida State's definitely going to be the, they're, they're the number one seed in the whole tournament for a reason. So I think everyone's kind of looking up to them, even though they didn't win the title last year. Santa is lurking on the other side of the, the, the bracket, funny enough. Uh, once again, unranked, really. But we know what they can do. <laughs> so uh, I, I think, if anything, you have to look forward to Pepperdine. They're the number four team in in Florida State's bracket, and uh, they might be the team that they get paired up around, uh, I think, the the Elite Eight. So I, I don't expect them to lose. I don't expect them to crash out early. But I, I do want to see them kind of get back on their feet and, and show that dominance that they've shown throughout the regular season. Because last year, when they were trying to make the final, they had a couple of penalty shootouts to make it there. And those are stages where you don't really want to put yourself into because anything can happen. Uh, these are one-game scenarios where luck is going to be part of it, no matter what, no matter how good you are. So we won't make any predictions, but I think FC is going to make it pretty far. I got one question
2: for you. What's that? You're a big soccer fan. A little bit. How do you feel about this? this? This is just how it always, not always, it seemingly comes down to just, Penalty (laughs) kick. To me, I heard someone say it's the most hyped up moment in sports, Mm. and I view it as like the most just what is the opposite of that? (laughs) I forget. It's just you have all this hype for 90 minutes, 95 Mm. minutes, yeah, and then it just comes crashing down to who can actually kick it into the wide open net.
0: Mm. Well, is it really wide open? Because there's a. It's a guess.
2: It's literally a guess by the (laughs) goalie. They see the hips, and that's about it, right? you know, sometimes you just dive, you don't yeah. even think
0: about it, and you just, I mean, the keepers, they, they get to do their little homework before the game, and, and see where they the, the penalty takers usually like to go, and um, yeah, you just kind of have to feel it out sometimes, but it can be anticlimactic for sure, that's the one thing that I will say, um, you play 90 minutes of intense, sometimes even 120 minutes of intense soccer, and then you just decide it like that, but Ah, there's no no better alternative other than golden goal, which <laughs> isn't the case for um, NCAA tournament rules. Um, so, hopefully, we don't get to see them uh, go to penalties. But even then, I think their their keepers are, are pretty decent. They they've been alternating for most of the season. So it'll be interesting to see who gets the nod uh, going into the tournament because the rest of the team is is pretty clear cut. You have your your starting back four. The midfield has been. Uh, about the same, Leilani Nesbeth has been starting a lot, which I I don't know if he if Marker Korn is going to change that because players like Jenna Nieswanger and Jui Zhao might be uh, trending upwards in that sense. And then the the front three, you have Jody Brown, you have Beata Olsen, you have, um, I forget her name, but yeah, you have a very consistent team. So if anything, I'm interested to see, to see how he kind of carries that over into the tournament when you're talking about the the early stages of it because you don't want them to get burned out before the big games um, because they won't be having much rest in between games, uh, assuming they they progress. So with that being said, I think that's about it. That's all we have for you today. So thank you so much for tuning in to Talk and
2: Shop. This has been Gabe Tisness, Max, thank you so much for coming in the show. Any last words? It was a blast. I do have to give a shout-out to Leilani. I have a class with her. She sits right behind <laughs> me. Tired of the slander. She's going to go crazy
0: this term. I want to see it. I want to see it. She she scored uh, against UNC last year in the ACC final. So she has shown up in big moments before. So hopefully she's able to do that once again. But um, yeah, once again, this has been Talk and Shop. Another episode on the books. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Bye-bye. <laughs> Great. Love it.